Welcome to Redeemer Community Church in Johnson City, Tennessee. We're so glad that you are listening with us today, and we hope that this message is a blessing. I don't know how, um, how many magicians you follow in life. I don't follow any. But um, David Copperfield has pulled off some crazy feats. I mean, he's levitated across the Grand Canyon. He's walked through the Great Wall of China. And probably one of his, his greatest magic tricks was making the Statue of Liberty disappear. And what's crazy is he did this magic trick in front of a live audience. It was televised, national television. They film it, and he does his spiel. The, the curtain drops, and the statue is gone. I mean, it's like, how do you make something so big, so amazing, so real, just non-existent? It's crazy stuff. And so, well, today, I wanna talk about when it feels like Jesus is distant. I mean, how do we have something that we would say, Jesus is real, he's amazing, he's, he's our savior, and, but he feels distant? Like, what do we do with that? I would say that's probably one of the biggest questions that I receive as a pastor has to do with people feeling like they just aren't as close as they once were or wondering what in the world has happened. Like, why did I once feel like I was on the mountaintop and now it feels like I'm in the valley? How do I get back? And so today we're gonna talk about the question, if Jesus is real, then why does he sometimes feel so distant? Well, if you have a Bible, we're gonna jump into Romans 8. I love the book of Romans. Um, The first four chapters are all about the heart of the gospel. Paul unpacks how we are saved by grace through faith alone. That it's not about what we can do to earn right standing with God. It's all about what Jesus has done, that he lived the life we couldn't live. He died the death that we deserved and he rose victoriously from the grave. Well, after that, in chapters five through eight, Paul begins to talk about the hope of the gospel. And the hope of the gospel centers around, well, if we still struggle with sin, do we have to fear losing God's love? I mean, like, because sin is still something we struggle with. You know, I would say saint defines all of who we are, but sin describes some of what we still do. Um, So what do we do when we're in those struggles, when sin still influences our lives? And the hope of the gospel is that even in the struggle, nothing can separate us from the love of God, that we are secure in God's hands, right? And so chapter eight, starting in verse 31, this is the grand conclusion to the hope of the gospel. And Paul writes, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all? How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. I mean, in these verses, this is just a goldmine of beautiful truth after beautiful truth after beautiful truth. But I wanna zoom in and zero in on the question raised in verse 35. Who shall separate us 
from the love of Christ, right? Who or what can separate us from the love of Christ? Paul continues in verse 37. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. All right, and so I'm gonna ask for an audible response. This is where you speak back to me. Can anything separate us from the love of God? No, all right, like we got it, A plus, you guys can go home, right? Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. So if nothing can separate us from, from the love that God gives, then how do we make sense of seasons where sometimes it feels like he's so distant? I don't know if you've ever been to the beach where, where you kind of have your camp set up, your towels, your chairs, your toys, and then you go into the water and you, you eventually look back to shore and you're, where in the world did my stuff go? And it, it's not that your stuff moved, it's that you just kind of drifted down the shore, right? The current carried you. So, so what I wanna talk about today is I wanna, for being here seven years, I wanna give you seven things I've learned in relation to this question. And, I, and we're gonna call them seven currents. So like a current driving you down the shoreline. What are seven currents that tend to pull us away from experiencing the nearness of God. So seven things. So we got a lot of work to do. If you're like, Jeff preaches for 32 minutes, I'm going 40 today, all right? So hopefully I've got some, some time in the bank that I can pull from, all right? So seven things that I've learned over the last seven years in relation to feeling distant from God, all right? So seven currents that pull us away, all right? The first current is this. It's misunderstanding reality, Right? When we misunderstand what's true and what's real, we will sometimes feel distant from God. And so this is why it's so important to understand the difference between two terms. The first term is union in Christ. The second term is communion with Christ, right? Union, communion. Union with Christ is an objective, concrete truth that doesn't change. It's like your beach stuff on the shore. It doesn't move. You might float downstream, but that stuff is there, right? So your union with Christ is concrete. It is secure. This is what, what, why it's so important to know this is sometimes when you feel distant from God, you might ask the question, like, have I lost my salvation? Like, does God still love me? And I would say that's the wrong question. The question isn't, can you lose your salvation? It's, can God lose a Christian? And the answer is no. Like, God cannot lose you. You are in his hands. He is holding you secure. So when you trust in Christ in the hope or the heart of the gospel, right? When your trust, your faith is in what Jesus has done, your position with God is secure, so that's what we call justification. It means that the penalty of your sin has been removed and your position with God has changed where he no longer sees you as a sinner, but he sees you as perfect and righteous like his son, Jesus Christ. That's union with Christ. You are positionally right with God because of Jesus and nothing can change that. Now, communion is the subjective experience of the objective reality. 
And you're like, that really, sounds really intelligent or confusing. One of the two. It, it's that the, your experience of that reality can shift. Sometimes your communion with God feels so close, like he's right here. Other times you might just kind of feel in the middle. It's, it's not like mountaintop high, it's not valley low, it's just kind of here. But other times you feel like, where did God go, right? And so that experience can shift. So what we're talking about today is we need to understand that the reality is God hasn't moved, his love hasn't changed, but your experience of that can waver. So how do we... How do we come back to shore? All right, that brings us to current number two. Current two is false identity. When we have a false identity um, and we're, we're letting something less than God define who we are, we will eventually find ourselves feeling distant from God. This is why I love celebrating baptism. Next week, we're celebrating baptism. It, it makes my heart glad in a way that few things can, okay? So why I love baptism so much is if you read Mark chapter one, Jesus gets baptized by his cousin, John. His cousin, John, is doing what's called a baptism of repentance, right? Repentance is turning away from what? Anybody know? Sin, all right? Like we had the no down really well. The sin part, not so much, all right? Repentance, it's like turning away from sin. And so if Jesus never sinned, why in the world would he get baptized with a baptism of repentance? It makes no sense unless you understand what's happening. You see, Jesus gets baptized with a baptism of repentance because he is, in essence, raising his hand and saying, God, I'm with sinners. God, I will take their sin so they can take my righteousness, right? So when we get baptized, the simplest way to explain what's happening is it's a way of raising our hand and saying, I'm with Jesus. Because of his death and resurrection, he took my sin so I could take his righteousness. So next week, a bunch of people are gonna raise their hand to tell the world that they're with Jesus, that Jesus washed their sin away and that he brought, and he brought them back to newness of life. Like that's an amazing, amazing story. But what happens in this exchange where Jesus takes our sin so we can take his righteousness is that what is true of Jesus becomes true of us. All right, so, so that's the gift righteousness of God, that, that what's true of Jesus becomes true of us. And so what does God say after Jesus comes out of the water? This is my son with whom I am well pleased. This identity of sonship or being a child of God who God is pleased with is now spoken over us when our faith is in Christ. So because of union in Christ, we can have confidence that your greatest identity is this. You are a child of God. That is your greatest identity. Now the world will try to define who you are in other ways. Your, your financial status, your social class, your job, your sexual orientation, your um, kid status, whether or not you've had success in life or you've had failures or you have this heritage that you've gotten from your family. Like there's all these things that people try to, try to put on us to define who we are. And if we find our identity in anything less than being a child of God, we will inevitably find ourselves feeling distant. Like we need to know who we are in Christ. So, so the current that pulls us away is forgetting who God says we are. So we need to remember that we are beloved children, right? So the second current is a false identity. The third current is what I would call gospel distortion. 
If the gospel is Jesus plus nothing equals everything, um, when we distort that message, it becomes ineffective in pulling us closer to God's love or to experiencing God's love. Think about this. Let's say, um, let's say you've got some weeds in your yard. It's just that time of year. Dandelions are everywhere. And you're like, I'm gonna kill these things. But I'm not just, I'm going like, Tim the Toolman Taylor style in this. I'm doing it big. And so you go down to Tractor Supply and you buy the concentrate. Not, not the pre-mixed Roundup stuff, but you get the concentrate. It's like Agent Orange. Like, I don't know what this is, but let's do it, right? And so you get that stuff and you bring it home and you have to mix it yourself. It's one tablespoon to 16 ounces of water. So you, you mix it in your pumper and you go out and spray your yard, okay? Not that I've done this before, I have, okay? So you go and you, you spray your yard with the mixture of the concentrate that you put water in and then you come out a few days later and the weeds have kind of wilted, but not died. And then a couple days later, they're stronger than ever. And you're like, what happened? It's like not taking your antibiotic all the way through. Like now, now the weed killer's immune. It's like, I'm back, right? Like the weeds are, right? But so, so what happens is let's say you come back to that weed killer and you're going, I'm going two tablespoons this time. Like we're doubling up on the concentrate to water ratio. And then you go and spray that yard and it does really good. It kills the weeds and your grass. It's like, like, like what do we like? And so there's a perfect balance to it. The right balance does exactly what it's supposed to do. Well, the gospel is perfectly balanced, okay? But when we distort it or change it, it loses its effectiveness in helping us to experience the love of Christ. So two ways that we distort the gospel. One is gospel pollution. This is when we add to the gospel. So the gospel is all about what Jesus has done. He lived the sinless life we couldn't live. He died the sinner's death that we deserved. He rose victoriously from the grave, right? That's what Jesus has done. Our salvation is based on nothing that we do. But when we all of a sudden add our performance to the equation, we can falsely believe that our actions determine God's feelings towards us. We can falsely believe that what I do makes God loves me more or what I do makes God love me less, right? And that, that is gospel pollution, right? And so it happens if, if you think that your performance adds to the equation of how God feels towards you, when you're doing really well, you're like, I'm, I'm maintaining my quiet time, I'm praying like crazy, I'm leading a small group, I'm sharing my faith, just fill in the blank with what you think you're supposed to be doing, you will be prideful, thinking that you're awesome and that God loves you more because of how awesome you are. But that pride pulls you away from experiencing the, the nearness of God's love, all right? But then on the flip side of that, if you're not doing so well, you're like, I haven't read my Bible in three and a half months. You know, I, I, I stopped going to church. Like, I don't know when the last time I prayed was, I guess when that person cut me off and I was like, God, please don't let me die. Like, I, but whatever it is, you can fall into despair, thinking that God might love you less. But the truth is, is that because of Jesus, what's spoken over you is beloved child with whom I'm well pleased. God's love for you does not change based off of your performance. But if you think it does, you will find yourself either prideful or in despair, both positions that will pull you away from experiencing God's nearness. So don't, don't pollute the gospel. Another thing is, is I would call gospel dilution. And this is when we water it down. Um, Diedrich Bonhoeffer would call it cheap grace. This is when our response to that good news, because God's grace is amazing. But when our response to that news is to make light of sin or to, to even cuddle up to sin and think that sin's not that big of a deal because God's gonna forgive us, 
we water down the gospel. So think about this. A couple of years ago, that boy from Oklahoma, Tiger King, like took the world by storm in the Netflix docuseries. I got, I was, I, why was I drawn to watching that? No clue. It's like, why am I watching this guy? <sighs> right? But in Tiger King, like, if you're like, I've never seen that, there's these cute tiger cubs. Do you know that tiger cubs look really cute? Imagine taking a picture with one and petting it and it, like kind of gnawing on you, but their baby teeth can't hurt you. And you're like, this is so cute. But you know what happens to the tiger cub? It eventually grows. <laughs> It gets bigger, and then you have the interview in the docuseries, one of the employees just missing an arm. It's like, what happened? I was feeding the tiger, it bit my arm off. It's like, that's not good. Like, like, like a, a tiger is a predator, okay? A tiger that starts as a cub, something that's cute and cuddly that you can manage and maintain and picture up next to, will eventually get bigger and it will fulfill its purpose and one day it will snap because it's a predator and it'll destroy something in your life, okay? So what happens is some people respond to God's amazing grace by just cuddling up to sin and choosing not to fight against it and they think falsely that they can manage it. It's like, well, I'm good. Like, I've got this under control. It's not gonna affect my life. Like, you think you've got it under control. You need to hear this. Don't mistake God's grace for his approval. Just because something hasn't gone wrong yet doesn't mean that God's somehow okay with what you're doing. Right? But here's the truth about sin. Sin is a predator. One day, it will grow into a bigger form of itself and it will destroy you. Okay, it will destroy an aspect of your life. Now, forgiveness is promised and guaranteed. So if you mess up, will God forgive you? Absolutely. But we're not promised escape from consequences. So even though God will forgive you for your sin, that doesn't mean there aren't consequences that will affect you and affect others in your life. So don't, don't dilute the gospel by making much of God's grace and then turning around and making light of sin. Don't distort the gospel. Right, the, fourth, the fourth current is what I would call boundary mentality. Right, it's, it's living with a boundary mentality. Okay, so ranchers in Australia will tell you that there are two ways to keep cattle in a ranch. Build a fence or dig a well. Okay, two ways to keep cattle in build a fence or dig a well. Boundary mentality is when your Christian faith is all about staying in the boundaries, where you wanna know where the fence is. This is the youth group kid saying, how far is too far with my, with my girlfriend or boyfriend? This is the college kid saying, how much alcohol is too much alcohol? This is the adult saying, how much house is too much house. It's, it's, the, it's the boundary questions, and you want to live to the edge. As long as you're at the edge and you don't step over, you're like, I'm good, but you want to kind of like, you're like, this is where the fun in life is, living on the edge. Like, like, like you're right there on the edge, okay? That's a boundary mentality, and if you're living at the edge, I believe you're not going to experience the fullness of God's love in your life, but instead of just fighting sin and fighting to stay in the boundaries, what if you saw Jesus as living water, what if you saw Jesus as the well of life? And so instead of trying to just stay at the edge, you said, how can I live to take steps closer towards Jesus? You see, I believe that every Christian has a next step of obedience in their lives. And that's not just for like the, the young Christian that's like a, a couple of months old or a couple of years old. Until the day you die, you will have a next step of obedience. And so if you're not living 
both fighting sin and following Jesus by taking steps closer to him through living in obedience, you're gonna feel distant from God. So what sin do you need to fight so you're not diluting the gospel? But also, what step of obedience do you need to take to walk closer to Jesus? Because obedience to Jesus is what leads to joy. Read John 15. Jesus talks about obeying his commands to remain in his love, but the purpose of obedience is to experience joy. So don't live with the boundary mentality. Choose to step closer to Jesus by walking in obedience. The fifth current is self-reliance. This is where you live just reliant on yourself and what you bring to the table. And so I believe we have two forms of dependence that we were created for. One is, is vertical dependence, and the other is horizontal interdependence. Okay, so we have vertical dependence and horizontal interdependence. So when it comes to vertical dependence, think about this. Um, Genesis 32, there's a story of Jacob wrestling with God. Jacob's one of the fathers of Israel. Um, he, was, he was a swindler, more or less, a deceiver. He deceived his brother Esau. Um, and, and we find Esau at the end of this deception, sharpening a knife, dreaming of killing his brother. Like that's the picture. Get this picture of Esau in your mind, a hairy Ewok dude just sharpening his knife. Shing, shing. He's like, like, how are you comforting yourself? I'm gonna kill my brother, right? Like that's a messed up guy, but here he is, right? So Jacob flees. He's like, that guy's gonna kill me. He goes and falls in love, tries to marry a girl, gets deceived by her father-in-law. He gets, like the deceiver gets deceived. It's great drama in the Bible, right? And then eventually he's like, I've gotta get out of here. So he flees. He's like, get the, get the sheep, get the women, like, let's go. And he's leaving, all right? So on this journey, as he's leaving, he gets word that his brother Esau is in front of him. What did Esau wanna do last time they talked? Kill him, all right? That's not good. Behind him is his father-in-law. He's like, I don't trust that guy. So here's Jacob between a rock and a hard place. And then he, he begins to wrestle with God. He's holding on, he won't let go. And it says that Jacob prevailed. How can Jacob prevail against God? Well, the prevailing wasn't defeat. He didn't defeat God. He prevailed because he finally realized what he needed most was God and nothing else. You see, Jacob was, was a good looking dude. He was a smart dude, he was a skilled dude, he was a, a strong dude. But in this moment, between a rock and a hard place, he realizes that nothing he brings to the table matters. If God doesn't show up, he's not gonna make it. That's vertical dependence. God, if you don't show up, I'm not gonna make it. And the truth is, you might not always feel that way, but that's always the reality. Every breath you take, everything that you do, if God doesn't show up, you're not gonna make it. And the more you live in acknowledging that reality of your God dependence, you'll experience God's presence because you know how much he needs you. You need him. You'll know how much you need him and you'll realize how much he's with you. All right, so there's vertical dependence. Then there's horizontal interdependence. I think this is so important for us to know. We weren't created to do life alone. We were created to live within Christian community. And that's, that's not just showing up to a Sunday service and checking it off your box. I'm talking about living in Christian community. And the reason that's so important is God created us to reflect who he is and how he loves to the world we're in, right? God created us to reflect who he is and how he loves to the world that we're in. And God has existed for all eternity as a triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That's a communal God. 
And the only way that we can reflect a communal God to the world that we're in is by living as communal people, right? So we, we have to live in community to show people what God's like because that's how God's always existed. But another piece of this, this interdependence is God's invisible, but one of the ways that he's, des- or, and so like I would say, like, if God was as tangible as this table, wouldn't that be great? Like, is God real? Like, I can touch him. I can smell his breath. I can see his eyes. Like, wouldn't it be great if he was that tangible? Well, one of the ways that the invisible God makes himself tangible to us is through the body of Christ operating as the body of Christ. You see, he wants us to be his hands, his feet, his mouthpiece. And so what happens is when we gather in community, God is using that gathering by by using Christ in us to be his hands, his feet, his voice in a tangible way to each other. You see, community is a way that God gifts us tangibility. Community is a way that God gifts us tangibility. But when we pull away from that community, like I just, I'm not gonna gather anymore with those Christian friends that I had or that group I was with, or I'm not gonna come anymore, you begin to rob yourself of that tangible gift that God wants you to have. You begin to rob yourself of, of the gift that God wants to give you of his presence through other Christians. And on the flip side of that coin is you're robbing others of a gift that God wants to give them through Christ in you. So we need to realize that we're, we're called to live to be dependent on God and interdependent on each other. And if we pull away and think that we're self-reliant in any aspect of life, we're gonna find ourselves feeling distant from God, okay? The sixth six current is what I'll call noise. We, we live really loud lives, not, not like physically, like unless you've got subs from like the 1999s, you're like, I've got 12 inch, thousand amp, Alpine, like, like whatever it is, like, like most, like, but we have, we have so many things happening in our lives that just cause noise and distraction. So I would say spiritual noise are things that make it hard for us to tune into God and experience his nearness. We have so much spiritual noise in our lives, whether it's like idols of the heart or just busyness of life, but things that make it hard for us to tune into God and experience his nearness. But think, think about a circus, when you think about a circus, what comes to mind? Like for me, it, it might be Dumbo. For others, it might be a clowns in a car. Like how do they all get in there? For a lot of us, it's the greatest showman. Like this is the greatest show. Like it's like that soundtrack of my kid's life. Um, and so the circus, but the circus has all of these things trying to grab your attention, right? It's like, there's a bearded lady. That guy's really tall. Like that kid's really small. Like, like all these things that are just trying to get our attention. But when the time is needed for us to focus, what happens? The lights dim and the spotlight shines. So if our life is so noisy, we, we just can't find ourselves focusing on God. Now think about, think about this. Um, Elijah in 1 Kings 18, um, he's having this moment of feeling distant from God and he's out on this mountaintop, um, on the side of this mountain and it says that an earthquake came and God wasn't in the earthquake. Then it says a, a great wind came, but God wasn't in the great wind. And then it says a, a fire came, but God wasn't in the fire, but then there was a still small whisper. If God's whispering to you right now, is your life quiet enough that you can actually hear him speak? 
If, because I think a lot of times we want God just to show up in amazing ways. God, audibly speak. God, shake the world. Like, do something crazy. Like, strike lightning on that tree so that I know that you're real. Like, we have all these things. But what if God's not speaking to you in a loud way, but in a still, small whisper? Are the lights dim and is the spotlight shining to the point that you can actually hear what he's saying? I think that we need to create rhythms of quieting our lives. So do you have rhythms where maybe you're taking a Sabbath, where you go on a long hike, where maybe you get up earlier than you normally do and just sit in a chair and open your Bible? Like, I don't, like, I don't, but we need rhythms or need places where we can dim the lights so the spotlight can shine because God's always speaking. We're just not always listening. And if you're not able to listen because of the noise of your life, you're gonna feel like God's distant. So noise is the is the sixth current and the seventh and final current is aimlessness. A lot of times we kind of feel like we're on life's treadmill. It's like this treadmill. It's like, I'm not going anywhere. Well, I used to love watching the survivor shows, not the like the fake survivor. Maybe it is fake, but like Bear Grylls, right? Like just the guy jumps out of a helicopter. He's got like a Patagonia jacket and yarn. And it's like, he's gonna survive in the wilderness and make it back. And I was like, this guy's amazing. And, uh, and so, but one of the things that Bear Grylls would do is he would establish his true north. And he, he would take a stick and put it in here and he'd pick another one. He'd watch the shadows. He's like, this is north. I know where to go. Because he doesn't want to wander around aimlessly in circles, so without establish, establishing his north, he's gonna go in circles. So he establishes his, his, his direction so he knows where he's going. And I think a lot of times in Christianity, a lot of us just kind of like, we're just living in circles. It's like, same stuff, right? Like we live in our, our circular world, but here's the deal. We need to know that God didn't create us to live aimlessly. God has a purpose for your life right now. If he didn't, you wouldn't be in the world. If God's intent was just to get you to heaven, he would zap you out and bring you to heaven. But God wants to get heaven to earth through you being here right now. So he has a purpose for your life. So we need to understand that we're not called to live aimlessly, but we have a primary calling and a personal calling. We need to understand those. So what is our primary calling in life? I've spent a lot of time reflecting on this over the course of my, my Christian faith and I would say I've boiled it down to the point that I'm ready. I, I don't have any tattoos on my body, but if I did, this would be it. Like I've, I've finally boiled it down where I'm confident that this will never change. I believe this is my primary calling in life, to know Jesus, to be like Jesus, and to help others do the same. That's what I'm gonna give my life to till the day I die. I wanna know Jesus, I wanna be like Jesus, and I wanna help others do the same. I believe that is all of our primary calling in life. But God doesn't, like, God's not a boring God. I don't know if you knew that or not. Like, if you see the spring right now, like, this is evidence that God is not boring. So not everyone is just called to do the exact same vocation. Not everyone's called to preach. Not everyone's called to do their, like, just one job. So here's what we need to realize. Within that primary calling, all of us have personal callings. So how do you identify what your personal calling is? Well, one, think about your life experiences. Like you have a unique story. 
where you were born, like the heritage that your parents gave you, like the, the ups and downs of life, the hard times, the, the mentors that God has used to shape you, the, the friendships you've had, the relationships you had, like all of those things, the schools you went to, those are all, like that's a unique past experience that's not by accident. Then on top of your own unique past experience, you have passions. You have things that you're like, I could do this the rest of my life things that you're passionate about and your passions are gonna be different than other people's passions, right? Then you're gonna have strengths because it's one thing to be passionate about something. It's another thing to be good at it. Like I could be like, you guys, I'm really passionate about guitar and singing. And if you heard me sing, you might be like, I'm not sure that's your, not sure that's your calling. All right. And so, but like, but you have things that you're not only passionate about, but things that you're good at, things that God has naturally wired you to be strong in. And then you have your current circumstances to realize that, that you're not on a holding pattern in Johnson City, Tennessee. Like God could have you in any state, in any city, in any town, at any church, like in the world, but he's chosen here for a purpose. So how can you leverage your past experiences, your passions, your strengths, and, and your unique circumstances right now in a way that you can uniquely know Jesus be like Jesus and help others to do the same. You see, living in that calling, when you begin to live and know that God has a purpose for your life, you will feel his nearness closer. All right, so when you think about magic tricks, there's three parts of the trick, according to the movie Prestige, right? And so the first part is the pledge, where you take something ordinary. The second point is the turn. This is where you, the ordinary becomes extraordinary, where it disappears, but no one claps until the prestige, which is when you bring it back. So David Copperfield made the Statue of Liberty disappear. There's been gasps, like, <gasps> but no one's clapped yet because the statue hasn't turned back. Well, eventually, after a, another performance, touching his brain, using his mental power, the curtain that has risen falls again, and guess what's in the background? The Statue of Liberty. He brought it back. So you're like, how did he do that? Turns out, pretty simple, according to Wikipedia, um, the stage, the scaffolding, the audience, the TV cameras, everything was on a platform that just slowly moved. And so as it slowly moved, by the time the curtain dropped, they're no longer looking where they thought they were looking, and the statue's not there. Then to bring it back, they simply took the platform and slowly turned it to where it once was, and voila. Well, union in Christ reminds us that God hasn't moved. But communion with Christ lets us know that sometimes our gaze can shift. And so if you wanna come back to experiencing God's nearness, it's about finding what it is that's taking your gaze off of what's real and turning it back. So look, I'll be the first to tell you these, these seven currents and working on them, it's not all inclusive. Like if you're like, I did all seven things and I still feel distant, I wouldn't be surprised. This is not all inclusive, but I think it's a good starting point. These are things that I've found to be extremely helpful in my life and a lot of other people's lives that I've met with over the last few years. And so if you're feeling distant from God, I encourage you to lean in and see if maybe there aren't one of these currents that are unknowingly grabbing hold of you and pulling you down shore. But the good news is that God's love hasn't moved. Nothing can separate it from you. 
and you can experience it again. God, thank you for your word. God, thank you for the stories in scripture that help us to wrap our heads around the complexities of, of what's happening when we feel distant. But God, at the end of the day, we, we know that you're the one who's unmovable. You're the one who's drawing us to yourself. You're the one who works on our hearts. And, and God, as we said, it's, it's not our performance. So God, help us to do the work of trying to identify what it is that's pulling us away. But God, at the end of the day, we're asking for your strength. Because if you don't show up, we're not gonna feel closer. So God, show up in our lives. Show up through who you are. Show up through community. God, show up and help us to draw nearer to you. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're interested in learning more about us, you can check out our social media or website. Grace and peace to you.